0: Light a campfire and everyone's a storyteller. Join us for some thought-provoking and beyond Fireside Chats.
1: Hello and welcome to Leave Our World A Better Place. My name is Kasha. and today I'm speaking to Ben Simpson, helicopter pilot and director of Tropic Air Helicopters, about his latest venture in Tanzania. Ben, thanks so much for coming to chat to us today about... Um helicopters and helicopter transfers and East Africa.
0: Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here.
1: I'm really excited about this one. I must say I I hadn't had much experience with helicopters at all until about, must have been just over a year ago when I went on my first helicopter flip and I'm a complete convert. I absolutely love them. So I'm really excited to be talking to you today.
0: Yeah, no, they are. They're really fun machines. And um, yeah, the sensation of flying in a helicopter. So unlike anything else, um, that it always brings a smile to your face. Um, first time is pretty unforgettable.
1: Yeah, I can definitely vouch for that. Then we're going to talk a little bit about um, Tropic Air Helicopters, which you're, you're the director of, and um, about the services that you offer in East Africa and specifically in Tanzania. But before we go into that, I'd just like to get a little bit of, a, of the lay of the land um, and find out a bit about you. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, you know, how you first became interested in flying um, and maybe how that interest ended up bringing you to Africa?
0: Um, Yeah, of course. I was born in the UK, but I grew up in Hong Kong. And flying for me really started um, all at once when I was 18. I had a friend who was a paraglider pilot and my first flight experience was, um, was running off a hill. On his paraglider and that really uh really bit me and it was something that i ended up a real passion for and and ended up flying paragliders for about 10 years afterwards and at the same time i also started doing my ppl um i was fortunate enough to have a very supportive father um, who was a, a pilot for cathay pacific and he thought that it might be a good idea uh, for me to to try my hand at flying, you know, I, I had no interest in going to university. I was spending most of my time um, surfing and working in a bar. And he uh, he gave me an opportunity, um, and he uh, sponsored me through my uh, my flight training um, as a private pilot. And I really took to it, and and really enjoyed it. And uh, and he started he started telling me about various flying jobs that there were in the world, um, you know, beyond airlines flying in places like Alaska and, and, uh, you know, Bush type flying. And, uh, I uh, so that's really sort of what got, got me started. I suppose those two things.
1: And from there you, well, obviously you didn't go into commercial airlines and, um, how did you end up in Africa?
0: Well, actually I came out to Africa with a great friend of mine, the same guy that I flew paraglider with him, uh, when we were 19, I guess it was about a year, uh, after I'd learned to fly. And, um, I did a little bit of flying, uh, down at Muscle Bay and along the South African coast. And, uh, we traveled around in a for about three months and, uh, and I really fell in love with, with Africa at that point. It was shortly after that, that I went off to the States to carry on and do a commercial license. And I thought, uh, as I was going through that, that there might be an opportunity in Africa, and it was while I was there that I met several people, actually from East Africa. A couple of them Africans who had been over there um, doing flight training, and some of them uh, instructors um, from other parts of the world who had tried to get jobs out uh, in East Africa, and um, their stories and uh, you know their um, their insights into what was. Uh, Going on commercially, what type of bush flying there was and what opportunities there were made me believe that I could, uh, you know, that it was worth giving it a shot. And so soon after finishing flight school in the States, I came to Kenya just because I'd heard more stories about Kenya than any other place. (laughs) And it sounded like a good place to start. You know, I was 21 at the time. and, And when you're when you're young, you kind of believe that you can do anything and uh, that everything's kind of possible because you can't imagine the barriers that you're gonna face. And so I just came, um, I just showed up and I didn't know anybody. Um, and I was very fortunate uh, to hear about a guy called Willie Roberts, who, um, who ended up giving me my first job. But I heard about his operation, which is based in the Maasai Mara. And this is in the uh, 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 mid nineties, 96. 97 and, uh, and he had a couple of Cessna 206 airplanes uh, that he used to fly around the mire collecting guests to take them out to Lake Victoria for a day trip experience at a place called your Island. And so he gave me a job flying one of his 206s and uh, he really brought me into bush flying and, and, and some really great, um, I did some really great work with him and he really sort of uh, mentored me, uh, in the, my first couple of years. Uh, commercial aviation and uh, remained a friend throughout uh, my life.
1: So, when did the sort of the, the swing from fixed wing to helicopter happen for you, and how how did that happen?
0: Well, so I actually then I met Jamie Roberts, who's the who's the founder of Tropic Air, um, and he fa- he founded Tropic Air in the early nineties, um, and he was Willie's brother, and uh, and I was uh, Tropic uh, was really a fledgling company at the time. And, uh, Willie used to, uh, lend me across to, 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 do some of the, some of his flights from time to time, and I'd use Willie's airplane. And so there was a lot of crossover between the two companies. So I, so I ended up actually enjoying my work up, up at Nanyuki uh, a bit more and ended up sort of moving in that direction, but it, it didn't take me long to sort of, um, to grow out of fixed wing flying because I could see there were, there was there was uh, a lot more fun to be had, uh, with helicopters. At the, at the time, you know, Kenya is, is the most incredible landscape. And uh, we were flying, we are doing a lot of flights into the north of the country using fixed wing. Um, we were doing um, trips, you know, several nights, flying people to the Chalbi Desert, uh, where we had a small community camp and across to Lake Tokana and those sorts of things. We used to do that in fixed wing. You know, in those days, there was one helicopter operator, Phil Matthews, he used to fly around in his chopper. And a couple of other guys started to uh, started small operations in Nairobi in the early two thousands. And I, I sort of, as a youngster sitting on the sidelines, I could see that this was something, this was gonna go somewhere. And that there weren't an awful lot of helicopter pilots sitting in the wings. In fact, there, were, there was hardly anybody. Um, and so I kind of made the decision quite early on. I guess I'd only been flying fixed wing at that, at that point for, for four or five years. And, um, as it turned out, it was a, it was a really good decision to make. You know, when I, when I started in commercial helicopter flying, I, th- I think there were four available aircraft for hire under commercial operator licenses. Um, and today I think there's nearly 80 and that's, 20, that's 20 years only. So it really did boom and it really was, uh, a good time to start, <laughs> but, but mostly, I mean, my motivation was to get into the landscape. You know, I spent a lot of time flying over it. My off time, I used to do a lot of motorcycle trips with my friends and uh, trips, paragliding trips into the remote areas of Northern Kenya. You know, the helicopter was just a natural progression. It was a way to to get people to that space and also a way for me to do a job that, you know, I could love, really. Um, More than anything, it's what I'm doing in helicopters is uh, all the things I want to do <laughs> and it turns out that people enjoy doing it with me so that's kind of that's kind of how things go <laughs>
1: it's amazing when you can combine your natural inclination and your passion for something with with work basically i've
0: been very fortunate there's no question. But, uh, and, we, and we have a lot of fun, but there is, there is a lot of work behind it too. And
1: have you seen things change a lot, you know, since you brought in the helicopters, since you started that helicopter division, how has the take-up been and how has that grown and increased? Do you find more and more people coming on board and using helicopters and, you know, not just for, for like short scenic flights, but, you know, with Tropic Air, I know that you do entire itineraries, you know, how, how has that grown and changed?
0: Well, it did start with um, sort of morning trips or day trips, and from you know we did a lot of Mount Kenya uh, in the early days, servicing lodges uh, and camps in the Lykipia area, of which there are many within uh, close proximity to Tropic Air's base at Nanyuki, um, and it was very successful. We continued that trend and, and offered longer trips up towards Turkana with overnights. Um, to give us a chance to to really reach out into those places. It really just grew from there. Um, and then, you know, within the safari industry as well, local operators, Willie Roberts, came back on on the scene with me um, because he was running a safari business at the time and he was bringing clients and selling full, putting together 10-day itineraries uh, with the helicopter traveling you know, to all the national parks in Kenya and beyond, um, which is really the... Uh, the main objective and and, and helicopters we, uh, they're really just expanding on your traditional itinerary and and um, you know reaching the mountains that you see in the far distance um, and and seeing us uh, having a sundowner up there you know it provides opportunities for you to really immerse yourself in the landscape you can literally go anywhere and so yeah it grew from there you know the bigger itineraries the bigger adventure trips they kind of grew in another way. You know, we do a lot of aerial filming as well in our past and even today. You know, since the BBC came out with Planet Earth in, in 2006, they, they raised the bar on, on, on wildlife filmmaking and all the aerial shots in the Planet Earth were all uh, done with stabilized cameras, very sophisticated and, and obviously quite expensive. But they, they set the bar now on aerial. And from that time onwards all aerials in all these uh, um, wildlife films today um, have to be of that quality in order to measure up. And uh, I did a lot of work with the BBC through from 2006 through to about 2015. And we did a lot of landmark series, the Africa series, Life, um, Nature's Great Events, I, 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 so many. And those films took us to places like Ethiopia, which, amazing. And they, uh, we went to the Simeon Mountains to film vultures. And we went to the Bali mountains to find Ethiopian wolves and uh, various sites in the Rift Valley for other things. And it really opened my eyes to the possibility of doing a tourism trip up there because now I knew the landscape, I knew a few places that I could stay at. And all I had to do was find somebody brave enough to sign up for it. And I was fortunate enough to, to meet some people um, that I did a, a couple of days in North Kenya and they said, you know, if you ever come up with any anything fun to do, let us know. Um, we'd love to um, to go up to Ethiopia. I told them about my filming up there, and so I put it together, and 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 they jumped in with both feet, and we had the most incredible trip. It, it ended up being a place that that I spent, I suppose, nearly yeah, eleven years working there every year, sometimes up to three months a year. Really fell in love with Ethiopia, and uh, we spent a lot of time up there and uh, had a lot of fun. Of course, all that came to, to a halt with the with the war in Tigray, but it's uh, it's quite encouraging that that things are settling now. And it looks like that, that area is starting to open up. It, it is open to people on the ground and we're hoping that we might be able to get back in there soon. So, so yeah, filming really opened up those trips and then it just having uh, clients like that and then meeting others and, and doing those trips consistently made us realize that we could do these things elsewhere. And people were asking us, you know, where are we going next year? And that led to the development of, you know, a Uganda itinerary and a Uganda-Congo itinerary with a night on and. We've just got kind of bigger and further away from home ever since. <laughs> well, you know, I've been down as far as Namibia. I've done several trips there, Botswana. And, um, and most, recent, most recently, we've been uh, doing these incredible uh, expeditionary trips into Chad uh, up in the Sahara, uh, which we've been doing. Uh, we've done three trips since 2018.
1: So, is it pretty much all tailor-made itineraries and tailor-made trips, or, or is it something that you offer as a set thing, or is it pretty much made up?
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, they are tailor-made because everybody has a different uh, timetable and amount of time that they can go on a trip, and then it's about um, about yeah, uh, dialing in the things that interest the client most, and talking about you know having a discussion about what's out there. And uh, and then yes, putting forward uh, putting forward an itinerary that we think will work, and then and then going for it. You know, the first, the, funny enough, the the, the the couple who who bought the, the who did the first trip to Ethiopia with me insist on being the first anywhere I go, which is really great because with them we that's what's allowed a lot of uh, a lot of these experimental trips to to happen in the first instance, and then for us to to see if they're viable or not for, for, you know, for us to continue and offer the trips to other people. Yeah. They, I, I owe them a lot for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're actually, they're actually coming to Niger with me in uh in december this year so that's that's our next destination
1: so obviously the the filming sounds as though it opened up a lot of new destinations and a lot of experiences um to you i must admit i'm really curious though what is it like actually doing that kind of work on on a documentary are there challenges that it brings with it in terms of the actual flying and the things that you're expected to do that you wouldn't normally do
0: uh yeah definitely it starts with where are you doing it if it's uh somebody wants to do it in the wants to film a volcano in the congo or a vulture in ethiopia or or whatever it is we've got to get the aircraft to that it's in the first instance we've got to deal with the authorities, so all of that stuff's boring and difficult but um you know we've been doing it a long time and we've we've learned the channels and we have our friends and fixed in various places and so um it's those are those bits are normally overcome and then uh and then, yeah, flying the equipment, um, it can be a challenge. Um, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to film wildlife, its natural behavior or behaving naturally and, and trying to disturb it, you know, um, as little as we can. And that means, you know, positioning the aircraft um, downwind of them and, and also understanding the animal that you're filming. Every, every animal is different. Elephants, um, buffalo, they all have a different tolerance. But uh, a lot of them can actually become habituated to the helicopter within a relatively short space of time like wildebeest for example if you fly over wildebeest the same sort of area of large herds of wildebeest for a period of three days and you slowly each day get a bit closer by you know on the fourth day you can you can be flying almost over their heads and they've and they start ignoring they forget you're there so there, you know there are those challenges and then there's also sometimes uh the, some of the cameras we've been flying recently are enormous we had uh, one of our pilots, Timmy, was flying uh, a specialized camera that, that films for um, simulator rides. And there are four cameras in the nose. To, to It's sort of like an eye. It projects onto a dome. 16 people sit in this simulator and they go on this Africa flight. And so um, they all they all get the thrill of flying with Timmy through some of the most incredible landscapes of Uganda and Tanzania and Kenya, which is which will be sort of uh, in simulators all over Europe. But the rig that he was flying was, I think, three hundred and twenty kilos, and he had to have all these guys on board as well. So it sticks out the nose of the, child. the aircraft, behaves completely differently. So it, it does take a, a steady hand um, in that game. Yeah and an experienced pilot.
1: It sounds really amazing. But I mean, what a wonderful way to to prepare for anything that you might be required to do with tourists on board.
0: No, well, it's very different. And from a pilot's perspective, it's, uh, you know, when you're flying guests, you fly in a certain way that's, that's comfortable for guests. When you're doing more utility type work, don't have to worry about the people in, in the aircraft. You, you maneuver it how you need to. Yeah, absolutely. So it is, yeah, it's a very different, uh, a different discipline.
1: Let's talk a little bit about Tanzania. I know that you've recently partnered with NBeyond for Scenic transfers between uh, some of our lodges in Tanzania. And, um, I'm kind of curious about the thinking and, and how all of that works. Tanzania has got such a well-developed network of air charters and everything is so really well connected as it is. Why this particular area? Why, why a partnership with beyond, and, and why in Tanzania? You know, what? What is it that you believe that a helicopter transfer service can offer that the normal scheduled flights or air charges can't offer?
0: Firstly, we, we partnered with Beyond because they're a great company. Um, they've got some fantastic properties here in Tanzania, and they're extremely well located along the, the western side of the Rift Valley. Possibly one of the most scenically beautiful flying areas in Africa is, is, is Tanzania's northern Great Rift. And that really kind of starts from Lake Manyara and Iasi and up through the Ngorogoro Crater area, through all the volcanoes, the highlands, and Lengai, the active volcano, and Lake Natron, which is this kind of, you know, incredible lake which is sometimes the color of blood with cosmic salty swirls on it i mean it's just it's otherworldly the landscape is is really very special what what we're able to do is 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 get into it and the helicopter has the unique ability to land anywhere so uh, we we're not really doing flips uh with our with our business that's never been business we we prefer to go on a more of a journey and to show off the diversity and the uniqueness of the landscape. And Northern Tanzania certainly has that in spades. You know, you've got lakes with flamingos, the variation in forests, the, the, the sort of lower tropical forests of Manyara compared to the highland forests of the crater. Uh, incredible valleys and rivers. Lake Empakai within the Ngorogoro crater area is somewhere where we can land. It's, it's this enchanted lake um, with, uh, with a perfectly uh, buffalo mown green grass all the way around it. Uh, it's just it's surrounded by these huge indigenous trees. Um, and, you know, there's always a flock of greater flamingo sitting on there. It's just, it, it takes your breath away. And we, we are cleared to go in there, to land there. We always carry coffee with us, we picnics with us. The flying is, is fantastic. And we try not to fly more than about 45 minutes without landing. So, you know, Empakai um, is just one of the places we can choose from. You know, the alternative is Lengai, and, and Lengai is an active volcano. It's nearly 10,000 feet above sea level. It's that classic conical shape, and it's active. We can land. It's got a, an unusual summit uh, where it has two craters on the summit. One of them is kind of dormant, and the other one um, has, a, has bubbling fumaroles in it and so we can land on the dormant one and then walk walk across literally sit there and and watch it bubble um it's uh it's pretty pretty incredible i mean it's just yeah it's really really very special thing to do and and the view from up there down towards lake matron there's lots of craters around the base it's a it's a real prehistoric looking landscape and it's it's kind of it's so interesting for guests too because all of those craters of course are responsible for the development of the serengeti all the ash that's come from is settled over on that side of that. that's what's created these incredibly lush rich plains for wildlife so it's all part of the story uh, and i think you know getting a tour, a unique tour through there really kind of builds your picture of tanzania and before you came you might think uh, okay, i want to see kilimanjaro and i want to see the serengeti and ngorogoro crater and um, when you go home you're going to say to everybody oh my god we went to this place called Lengai and then we went over this red lake called Natron. There are so many other special features out there. And, you know, we we know where they are and we, we want to show people the lesser known parts of Tanzania, which are equally incredible.
1: So basically, I think what I'm hearing is that there's so much more flexibility and it's not really just a way of getting from point A to point B. There's a whole journey and you know, it's kind of flexibility combined with local knowledge. So you know exactly where the best spots are where to take people and the helicopter gives you the flexibility to stop off and really explore them in the way that you want to.
0: Yeah, that's right. We, we don't fly in a straight line anywhere except when we're flying home empty. When we've got guests on board, we fly slow and we highlight an interesting route for the entire time you're on board. There's always something to look at. It's a special experience and I hope that, that we'll get a lot of uh, clients. What I was going to say to you before is that and beyond, you have property in Manyara you have your crater lodge and you have Klein's camp and they all sit on the, right on, along the route. so it makes perfect sense um, to have a helicopter pick you up at the door uh, transfer you between those places and 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 fully uh, immerse yourself in that landscape as well while you're at it not just not just take flight. Take um, so you know it's it's another whole morning's activity, which is really great.
1: And I think you, you're perfectly right. It does give you that idea of how everything connects together and how the landscape evolved over time. It's pretty amazing. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's nice for people to see that and have it, have it shown to them. Yeah.
1: In terms of the actual sort of, you know, the details of how all of this is offered, what kind of helicopters do you use for this? How big are they? And, you know, what kind of special features, do they, if, if any, do they have?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, we currently have one helicopter in Tanzania. We hope to supplement it very soon, within the next couple of months. The aircraft we have is an Airbus H130. Uh, It's a state-of-the-art machine. It's incredibly quiet. It has an enclosed tail rotor, um, and it's widely used around the world by tourism operators. Um, They're seen a lot in in, uh, uh, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, those sorts of places. It carries a pilot plus six passengers. Everybody's in, everybody faces forward. It has, it has incredible visibility. The seats in the back are higher in a sort of theater like arrangement than the seats in the front. So everybody gets a great view. Plus, with us landing as often as we do, there's an opportunity to, for people to switch around. And so, you know, with two landings, everybody gets an opportunity to, to sit by a door or sit in the front. And the front, Uh, The front of this aircraft actually has two passenger seats. So three with a pilot, there are three across the front. Yeah, so it's air conditioned. We've got headsets, um, which we can all chat with each other. Uh, We can also put music on. We also have the ability to slide the doors open in flight. If we have serious photographers, uh, then we would normally give them an extra safety belt and teach them the operation. Of the door and all the safety things that go with that loose articles and then uh they can shoot with the open door and that that um that really does make a big difference if you are a serious photographer you don't really want a bit of perspective between you and the subject and myself and all our pilots have a lot of experience with filmmakers and professional photographers so They're good at getting you into the right spot to take your shot.
1: In terms of what a guest would expect, can you sort of run me through how that would look? You know, from takeoff, do you know pretty much exactly where you're going to go and where you're going to land straight off? Or is that something that you figure out as you're going along the way? What other details? Like, you know, can you take luggage and how much luggage? Sure. You know, are there age restrictions? Is there anything else that guests would actually sort of need to be aware of before they decided to do this?
0: Yeah, we do have a luggage restriction. If we've got four passengers, we can carry their luggage. Four passengers or less, we can carry their luggage. But the luggage must be in soft duffel bags. So they can't have any rigid sides to them and they can't have any wheels. Um, Otherwise, they simply don't fit into the space that we've, the the cargo space that we have. So um, provided, and and, and 15 kilos each, uh, plus a five kilo hand carry. Typically, we can carry six people with their hand-carry luggage only, and if we were doing a transfer between, let's say, Klein's, um, the Crater Lodge, then we if then there were six people, we would send their luggage by road, but uh, most likely we'd arrive at the same time because we spend quite we spend quite a lot of time exploring and walking around and stuff like that. So, so yeah, that's how we manage the luggage.
1: All right. The route that you're going to take, do you agree that up ahead of time or is it flexible enough that you can actually stop off if the guests are flying along and they see something really amazing and they want to stop off and
0: have a look? Yeah, no, absolutely. Sometimes we can do spontaneous landings. I mean, it depends which area we're in. Uh, Typically all the landings that we make are prearranged with various authorities everywhere, every bit of ground in Tanzania is under somebody's control. So one has to have that sort of sorted out, but generally speaking, we do kind of stick to more or less the same route, not always the same order, but the main features along that route are the things that, you know, we don't want you to miss out on. So we try and show you everything that's in between. Um, and, and yes, we we can, we, if we see something interesting, we circle around, We're, we're not watching the clock it's it 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 is um it is it does get sort of mixed up and um and we're happy to to do things spontaneously absolutely
1: you mentioned really briefly you know the training can you talk a little bit about you know what kind of training that your pilots go through and even a little little bit about how your you know who your pilots are i believe you do a little bit of training and work experience for pilots in east africa um We've been, we, we
0: always try and help pilots that are, uh, you know, uh, developing and, and trying to build our building and that sort of thing. I mean, for, for our own crew, we all come from various backgrounds. Some of the guys that work with us uh, were professional pilots before they came. They were hired uh, because of their experience. Some of them worked, uh, uh, have worked in, in wildlife operations, anti-poaching and, and more in a conservation role and have moved across to, to more commercial type flying and others are homegrown. Myself and Jamie Roberts, we were both fixed wing pilots at Tropic Air. We did our helicopter licenses. We were followed by Hamish Rendell and and Will Dyer. And we, we brought a couple of guys through the fixed wing and into helicopters. We've got quite a mixed bag today, but as far as training goes, we have an extremely good training program. We do quite a lot of different things. So we start with the simple stuff, Um, and that's flying passengers, to be honest with you, is the easiest uh, work we do. All the pilots are obviously uh, qualified. They all, if they're flying with us, they all um, have a type rating and they have over a a thousand hours of flying on turbine aircraft. So their starting level is already quite high. And then they progress. um, The more time they, they spend with the company, the more skills they learn. We do everything that you can do with a single engine helicopter. We do car- external cargo, uh, we do mountain rescue, we do firefighting, aerial filming, wildlife darting, uh, s- so many different skills. And so each one of those uh, has a training package and we've got uh, training captains and check pilots and everybody goes through th- through that process. Uh, you know, modern, a modern aviation company is all about compliancy. Modern aviation is all about compliancy. And we have the check pilots and um, the training captains are constantly checking our crew. Uh, every six months, we go through our emergency procedure and emergency checklists and all of that. And it's like a, it's like a little exam. And, um, you know, we're obviously all trying to outdo each other There's a bit of competitive spirit. The guys that, that, that I fly with, I can, you know, I can say they are among the best that you'll find anywhere, very professional very safe and incredibly capable. Um, and that's what I look for in a pilot is a guy that can, can, can be in a remote place and, and not only look after an aircraft, but look after people and look after the task at hand. So we are really fortunate to have a top team. I'm, I'm really proud of the team we have. Yeah, some of them are, are in, in Kenya and some of them sort of migrate between uh, Tanzania and there and here rather.
1: Yeah. Well it certainly sounds as though all of your pilots get a lot of experience doing all kinds of different things, not just you know not just flying guests. Ben, you mentioned providing support for wildlife and conservation for anti-poaching and initiatives such as that. Can you tell us some of the work that you've done in that area and maybe talk about something that's been that's been exceptionally meaningful to you in terms of the work that you've assisted on in conservation?
0: The thing we're most involved with these days is transporting orphaned elephants. You know, we had this terrible drought in, in Kenya and Tanzania. Um, it's it's broken now, thankfully. It was, it was nearly three years of drought, and uh, a lot of elephants suffered during that period. And a lot of orphans, there was a period of, of I, I think the Sheldrick Trust were, you know, had maybe even six or seven in a week, one of the weeks, maybe even could have been more. And so they were dropping like flies. And so we were, we were scooting around all over the place and scooping them up and sometimes carrying them inside the aircraft and some of the bigger ones, dating them and moving them outside the aircraft on a specialized dredger platform that we have uh, for moving them out of difficult areas. That works very rewarding. I mean, the work that the Sheldrick Trust does is just incredible. (laughs) It is the most incredible organization. And so it's, it's always good to be able to lend them a hand. You know, we've been involved in various coloring exercises and things like that over time with all sorts of different species of animals. I think one of the, the more challenging ones we did was with giraffe because uh, the, the landscape that we were in was pretty heavy with bush and they move incredibly fast. Um, that, that was quite challenging. We've done some zebra as well and... And in some remote and strange places like Chad, um, you know, when we go to places like that, we have notified organizations like African Parks and said to them, hey, we're in the area. Is there anything you want done? And they often, they often take us up on that. So, you know, we've been quite proactive um, and we helped them with some with some collaring of Barbary sheep and Dama gazelle. But yeah, I suppose I, I think, you know, the elephant stories are... Probably the most common thing for us to get involved in and, and human wildlife conflict that can be quite a common call out for us to go and treat a, a wounded animal. Um, and I think that's probably the most important thing. you know they quite often have arrows or spears in them from crop raiding. Uh, they need them to be removed and they need the antibiotic and working with vets and the Kenya wildlife service we've we've done quite a few of those types of operations. Um, so yeah, quite varied, always, always interesting. And sometimes pretty challenging.
1: I can imagine, especially, you know, you mentioned doing a lot of elephant work and then moving animals like giraffe. I mean, I've seen some of the stuff that we as Beyond have done with rhinos. And it's just so incredibly difficult to do animals of that size and weight. You said you have like stretchers that you use. Is that something that you've had specifically made for you? Or is it something that the organizations that you would be working with would supply? How does that work?
0: No, actually, it's, it's something that we welded up ourselves. It's, it's a platform that's hinged, um, and it can be carried in the aircraft, assembled on site, and you can put an elephant of up to 650 kilos on it. And it's got uh, anchors on the corners. And then we have an additional safety net that we put around the outside. It's, all, it's quite a rig. And yeah, these are all rigs that we've developed ourselves. If it flies underneath the aircraft, it's not part of the aircraft. You can kind of build what you like. You know, we've got other things like that too. Actually, we 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 were asked going back now. It must be about two thousand twelve, I think. Um, I needed to. I got requested by the Diane Fossey Gorilla Foundation to move six Grauer gorillas from Goma to their sanctuary um, in a town I can't remember the name of. But it was only about a forty minute flight, and so um, I had to build a cage in the back of the helicopter because the cage that the gorilla came in was too big to fit through the door. They sedated them and I built this cage that we erected inside in panels to maximize the space. And so we still got that as well. And I I moved these six gorillas one by one across the Congo forest and dropped them off at their new home. That was was a pretty special and unusual job. One of them woke up. The first one woke up. And the vet who was sitting next to me, he kind of pointed his thumb backwards and I looked between our shoulders and this gorilla's face was pressed up against the cage right between us. It then, it then sort of wide eyed looking out the front and then it went to the left side of the aircraft and it looked out the window and then it put hands on its forehead and fell backwards. just like, it <gasps> like in this sort of stare, you know, like you didn't know what the hell was going on, what dream it was. in, And, uh, and then just chilled out the rest of the flight. It was totally relaxed. <laughs> they had to sedate it again to get out, though. That was the only trouble. Yeah. had to wait for that to take effect. So anyway, it was, that was the first one. The, the, the next ones they gave a bit more drug to so that they didn't wake up.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. The one one thing I've learned about conservation is is a lot of stuff happens by trial and error. So whether it's making your, your own equipment or figuring out the right dosage for whichever animal species it is, it tends to be like that. Yeah, it's making me smile thinking about it. Ben, I do want to ask you about some of your favorite places to fly through. But before I do that, the only place I've ever actually done helicopter flights has been Botswana. And I know that the same is true for quite a few of the guests who travel with us. Can you kind of talk about, you know, for somebody who's done a scenic helicopter flip or a transfer in the Okavango Delta, how does that experience compare to what you're able to offer in Tanzania?
0: I mean, Botswana is a, is a unique environment. Um, the, flying over the Okavango, I think it's great to see from the air. I think probably, I think probably the flight's quite short, maybe 30 or 45 minutes, and uh, you might see some wildlife and some sort of remote parts of, of the Delta. But ultimately, it's quite two-dimensional. Um, you know, Botswana is a flat landscape, and um, as a pilot, I am I'm, I'm I really need to be flying in mountains, <laughs> especially in helicopter. But um, I I just think that, no, I just think that, that Tanzania and East Africa is much more three-dimensional. You know, it, we've and varied. So, you know, it's not it's not just one thing. It's the variety um, in topography. You know, we, you can be flying over the desert and you're seeing desert um, species of animals. You're seeing Gerenuk and maybe Grevy Zebra. And then um, you reach a mountain and you climb. And within three minutes, you go from desert to tropical forest. And you're seeing colobus monkeys bounce around. And you're looking across canopy of forest down onto a desert beneath you. you know the elevation provides for that variety and and I think that's what makes flying here a bigger journey because there's there's more to it. Um, there's more to see and it keeps getting better. you see you kind of <laughs> you fly. You know, you fly through, through a valley that's, you know, hanging with hanging forests. And you think, oh my God, I think that might be the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And then the next moment you're flying over a, a crater lake and you're like, oh, crumbs!" Well, wow, I don't know which one I like better now. You know, it's just, there's so, there's so much. It's, you know, a lot of people say to us after a day, they're like, I just feel like I've got sensory overload. I'm not sure how to process it. Sometimes you've got to be careful not to do too much. I don't mean to be rude about Botswana, it's an incredible experience, and the Okavango Delta is a very special place. But for flying, I think to fly through this landscape in East Africa is 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 unique and extraordinary. Yeah, there's, there's nowhere like it.
1: Well, that's that's very obviously where your heart lies. So I don't know if I even need to ask you the next question, but I was going to ask, what is your favorite region to fly in in Africa? Would it, would it be East Africa?
0: Yeah, for sure. There's no place like home. Uh, it is wonderful here and I've been flying this area for a very long time and you never get bored of it. It does change. It changes with the seasons. It changes all the time and it's always it's always great to be here. I also have a thirst for exploration and so I do really enjoy new trips and new experiences. Chad and Niger are really exciting. These are the expeditionary trips. We're not staying in, in luxurious accommodation. We stay in, in fairly simple desert camps and in Niger, we'll be staying in some, in some um, very modest hostels um, in various towns in, in the air massive. What we're seeing, what we're able to to visit it's not really about where we're staying, it's about what we're able to do it's, it, it feel, that's a place where I mean that's really stolen my heart because I just love that the remoteness that it provides and you know you can stand on the on a hillside in the Tibesti, where you know where you're looking toward Libya and algeria and in in a landscape of nothing but the most beautiful landscape of nothing. And it feels like you're standing on the edge of the earth. You know, it's like, it's like nothing. And it's like nowhere else or, or any other place has, has given me that experience. But it's so far from home and it's so difficult to put it all together. And so we can't do it all the time. It's one of those sort of special places that, and, and while it's open, and that's the other thing that we've learned in our business is, you know, Ethiopia, you know, these, the countries that we choose to, to do our tourism are, uh, we're doing it there because it's hard. It's because it's hard to travel there. It's, uh, it's very difficult to do these things on the ground in the same way. To spend eight days in Ethiopia and see the Simeon Mountains, the Danakil Depression, the rock churches of Tigray, to do all of those things in such a short period of time, that's why we were going to those places. It allowed people access when they don't, one thing they don't have is time so often. Yeah, and then the... the- Congo as well. And all of these places, they're great fun, but then they're only open for as long as they're open. You know, you kind of have to take your opportunity. And that's, so we get closed out of, of a lot of the places that I love to fly periodically. Some of them are starting to come back to us, but yeah, I think Chad, Chad d- definitely takes the biscuit.
1: Well, I suppose that's the real beauty of the helicopter. You, know? you can really quickly combine so many truly remote places that you know that, that are totally inaccessible in any other way that you wouldn't be able to squeeze into a relatively short period of time.
0: Well, that's it, exactly. Particularly out there, it's the discovery. You know, we walking in on 8,000-year-old rock art sites in the middle of a Sahara with paintings of rhinoceros and planes game and things that you can't even imagine would be in that landscape. So that access to those sites and with the right experts, you can do phenomenal things. There's so many of those types of things available in Tanzania. I mean, just between the crater and clients, again, you've got the Olduvai Gorge. That's another place we can call into and um, go and look at, at the, the sites where they've, they've found hominids and there are there are rock art sites along um, Piaia, um, at the bottom of the hills of the Gaul mountains. So there are other things that we're hoping that we'll stitch in to our itinerary as well as some cultural elements. You know, there's the Hadabi down at Iasi and there's there's some very traditional Maasai in the, in the highlands um, of Ngorogoro. So, you know, we, 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 we're really hoping to develop those elements too. So it's not all just about flying. It, you know, our trip, uh, we try and be, you know, on the longer trips, we're always trying to be fully immersive in what we're doing and, you know, the historical, the cultural, that as well as the beautiful scenery, I think it's really important to an experience. And I think, um, I think that all those elements can be added to what we're doing with and beyond, which is exciting.
1: Ben, it definitely sounds as though you've got a lot on on your plate going on at the moment. So is that pretty much what's next for you? Um, Developing Tanzania, getting into Chad and Niger again, or are there even more plans that you've got?
0: Well, um, yes, I'm in Tanzania. I'm loving it here. I feel energised, um, starting something new. It's, it's familiar ground, but it's got different rules. There's a great drive in this country toward foreign investors. The president effect is in full swing. Uh, Tanzania has a fantastic president and um, Mama Simba, uh, and she is really propelling things forward, which has made our experience very good as we develop the company and yeah, we're, I'm working on um, developing a rescue program for Kilimanjaro at the moment with uh, Tanapa, with the Tanzania National Parks Authority, and that will include uh, firefighting protection and aid and services that we can help them with, and also porter and a range of protection on the mountain as well as medevacs for, for clients. So that's, that's all good. And then, yeah, all these other things, they're always on the sidelines and we sort of chip away and people express an interest. And if we get enough people, we try and pull it together and, and get there. But in the meantime, this is my day job and it's, uh, it's not a bad one. I'm enjoying, what, I'm enjoying what, what Tanzania has to offer. We've got a lot to learn. There are vast areas of the south of the country, which I'm really itching to get into. Uh, Nyerere, Ruaha, um, those southern areas, there's huge scope for adventure helicopter tourism. There, these are these are places with very little infrastructure, road infrastructure. Uh, fantastic rivers uh, for for tiger fishing. Really incredible areas for, for for walking, and you know other species of animals, sable, roan, and and things that you don't see here in the north. So. I'm really hoping that our relationship with Tanapa is going to allow uh, that type of uh, helicopter activity to start being allowed in those areas. So I think we've got a way to go. But I think initially the signs are, are encouraging. We've got a lot, lot of work to do here and I'm enjoying it. Um, it's about relationship building and, and gaining trust and all that kind of stuff. And then I get to go flying, which is why I'm really here. All the government offices and the meetings and all of those kinds of things go so far. And then thankfully, I get to go and remind myself why I'm here.
1: Yeah, that always helps. Mm. Ben, thank you so much. I mean, you've you've been a wonderful interview subject, and you've really painted a very, very vivid picture of the places that that you fly in, all of the areas that you've experienced. And I must admit, if if I were travelling in Tanzania right now, I would not want to travel in between lodges any other way than by helicopter.
0: Good. Well, I hope I get you on a flight sometime so that you can experience. Stuff. I'd like I'd like you to.
1: I would love that. Thank you. Well, thanks very much and best of luck with the Tanzanian roots and with everything else that you've got going on. And um, hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up with you again soon and see how everything's getting on. Yeah, well, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to Leave Our World A Better Place. Don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode. If you'd like to find out more about Beyond, please log on to our website at NBeyond.com.